With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome in to episode 240 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. Sources Say is as always, presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations. That's on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health in a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental team looks forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, joined, as always, by my guy, Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? I'm fantastic, Jack Pilgrim. How are you? Oh, feeling just absolutely terrific after yet another sweep. I'm getting used to these these sweeps and starting to like these quite a bit. Uh, 82-74 win down in Gainesville. Uh, I I know we're kind of in that must-win territory every time uh, Kentucky steps on the floor, but I think now we're kind of in that zone where this win, I think, kind of solidified Kentucky's NCAA tournament chances uh, they've won three straight quad one games, and I know you're our re- you're our res- uh, resume guy, uh, all about building that resume. And now, all things considered, I think 11 days after we woke up with one quad one win after that Georgia loss, uh, one and seven in those games. Now Kentucky is five and seven in, in those games with a, a pretty solid, you know, resume. All things considered, uh, inching toward the SEC tournament. Yeah, up to uh, number 29 in the net. So that resume is starting to really come into to play now. And, I mean, look, one quad one win entering Mississippi State. Texas A&M kind of goes on their heater that they've been on in league play, and it helps you out. And then you go get three of your own. And, I mean, Kentucky, that, that resume that we talked about that was non-existent, and it's starting to show up. And we've talked about can they get this thing on the right side of 500 going into the NCAA tournament. And that's a realistic thing for a team that didn't do anything in the non-conference starting to put together a really solid resume in league play. And this was the thing that we talked about. If they could just win games in the league, they'd play their way into the tournament. And they have certainly played their way off the bubble and in, but they still have a lot of room that they can improve that seed. And now that that number that we were talking about the other day, which we'll get into, it's in play. They can get this thing up to a six or so. Yeah, we have plenty to discuss. We'll talk about the the tournament resume, where things stand with the SEC uh, tournament, uh, c- kind of where the where things stand right there. Kentucky's currently slated as a three seed, and they control their destiny as a three seed, which is great news considering again, uh, it's a double by by territory. We'll be playing Friday instead of what would have been Thursday had things held before. So uh, making great progress in that regard. Where do, where do things stand in terms of uh, what this NCAA tournament ceiling is? 
uh, in terms of seeding. Can they get up to a seven? Can they get up to a six? Where are they right now? Uh, plenty of those big picture questions that we'll dive into. We'll also uh, answer all these questions. Uh, the last couple of shows, Sean, we've been just absolutely lit up. I think we counted over 250 comments and questions combined uh, on the last episode. Uh, just unbelievable numbers. So feedback has been great. We'll try to answer all the questions that we always do. Uh, recruiting, uh, current team, draft conversations, behind the scenes stories, whatever you guys want to know. Uh, we'll definitely try our best to dive into all of that good stuff. But before that, uh, let, let's talk about how it unfolded in Gainesville, Sean. Obviously, Colin Castleton out for Florida, still a quad one opportunity, but that was uh, kind of the storyline going into this is how would Florida uh, kind of battle against losing their best player? Obviously, they were going to throw different things at, at Kentucky. John Calipari said uh, this is backs against the wall team that with really nothing to lose. And I think we saw a lot of that. Kentucky jumps out to a 30 to 15 lead. And uh, at one point, I thought for my money that it was going to be a, a cakewalk. They were going to blow out uh, the Gators and, and head home with a blowout win. That obviously didn't happen. It gets close. They play desperate basketball, and we kind of get a, a nail-biter there to close things out. Uh, and then they really found out uh, ways to, to close things out with a lot of fight and energy and uh, Chris Livingston kind of being the big storyline there at the end of the game. But uh, from your from your perspective, how were the Cats able to pull it off down in Gainesville? Well, you know, at, at halftime, I wasn't concerned, even though Florida had had the run to take the, the one-point lead because, I mean, Kentucky looked really good the first 10 minutes and then the, the second 10, you know, like what in the world just happened. But I didn't think that Florida could score enough in the second half to beat Kentucky. I thought that what Kentucky was doing offensively in the first half would – would uh, stand, and it actually got even better in the second half. Had a 36-point first half, a 46-point second half. Uh, that efficiency offensively that we've been talking about in recent weeks, it continued to show up. And and I thought Kentucky got a lot of production from a lot of different areas, specifically that Chris Livingston spot there. I mean, Jack, we, I talked about it the other day after the Tennessee game that his impact could be on the glass, and you saw what he did last night on the glass. I mean, he was a, a monster for Kentucky in a lot of different areas. And then those plays late, uh, helping Kentucky close out Florida. Like that's a, that's a kid that's continuing to grow up. It's a kid that's continuing to get better and better. And a guy that's not capped on this roster. There are players on this roster that are capped. He is not one of them. I think that's the most exciting part of, of all of this and just the journey in general. And, uh, you know, thinking of what this team's potential is when we talk about this this team's you know tournament hopes not even just seeding but what they're actually going to do uh, in these matchups because you're seeing a game by game growth from Chris Livingston where you know he hit a plateau there for a while where it just seemed like it was wasted minutes every time he was on the floor really wasn't providing much of anything offensively really struggling defensively and, and for my money that's why he was kind of kept off the floor and not getting those consistent minutes he's really uh, you know, started figuring things out on that end of the floor while also just doing the, you know, it's not like he's doing anything cosmic with, with his game. He's not just exploding from a skill perspective or doing anything out of this world that, uh, you know, really that much different than what he could have been doing er earlier in the year. But he's just using his God-given gifts to his advantage in terms of attacking the glass and taking what the defensive get defense gives him and, uh, you know, really just, you know, finding easy scoring opportunities wherever they come. If it's a catch and shoot opportunity on the perimeter, he's knocking down those shots. Uh, if he has an open driving lane because Oscar has four guys riding him like a backpack, then he's going to have those open scoring lanes and, uh, and you know, put back opportunities and things like that. And I think that is, has unlocked a new level for this team. Obviously, there's a lot to clean up. You can't go up 30 to 15 and then, uh, you know, let Florida back in it the way they did. And, you know, a lot of defensive lapses and, you know, a lot of different struggles throughout the game. But big picture, this team is growing 
game by game. And a big part of that is because of what we're getting out of Chris Livingston. Yeah. And, you know, I said it back, uh, I think it was when they were struggling mightily there in December and into early January. I said the freshmen are where the difference is. And those freshmen have to be on the floor. And last night you look up, Livingston plays 39 minutes, Casey Wallace plays 38. Uh, outside of that, then the starting five, Duthiero, five minutes, Damian Collins, two minutes, and Lance Ware, four. So, Jack, this is a Kentucky team that is essentially playing five guys right now. Any concern of tired legs and fatigue and and things and, and kind of running themselves into the ground like we saw happen at the end of last season, do you have any concern of that over the course of the next couple of weeks and getting into the SEC tournament? I, I do. I, absolutely, I do. And I think – we kind of got a, a a little bit of brutal honesty from John Calipari after the win last night where, you know, he talked about that. He said, yeah, I played five guys in the second half, you know, zero minutes for non-starters in the second half. K- uh, Jacob Toppin, Antonio Reeves, Kaysen Wallace, Chris Livingston, and Oscar Shibway uh, get all uh, 20 minutes apiece in that second half. And that's just not sustainable uh, long term. And, and I think that's where that kind of desperation came from, from John Calipari, where he was like, look, we need Xavier Wheeler back. We need CJ Frederick back. Uh, we cannot sustain long, you know, long periods of time having, you know, Casey Wallace. We we've seen well, how up and down things are with him with his back spasms. Uh, that that could flare up at any given time and really kind of throw a wrench into to Kentucky's yeah. long term optimism for everything. I mean, if if Kaysen goes down tomorrow. What's, what does Kentucky do? I mean, they are, they are absolutely screwed in that regard. We've seen Antonio Reeves, what happens when his legs get tired, you know, down the stretch at, at Georgia, exact same situation unfolded. He played too many minutes and, uh, you know, just, he, did, he didn't have the legs to get shots up. You got to figure out a way to incorporate CJ and, and Savier back. And thank goodness, uh, I, I'm very confident that CJ is going to at least give it a go on Saturday against Auburn, which is a huge uh, comeback. But Savier is a big piece of that, too. You got to figure out a way to get him back in the lineup. You've, you've got to have some depth especially in the backcourt. And you you cannot go into this thing with playing guys 39 minutes. And we we know that uh, we criticize Cal at times when it comes down to the NCAA tournament, and he plays a guy 38, 39 minutes. But last night, regular season, that was a must-win game, right? You had all this momentum going on your side. Had they lost that game at Florida last night, what would have happened, Jack? All the, the fans, everyone would have been like, okay, here we go again. Is this, is this team really turned a corner? And you get into this thing where you're actually – I think there's still some people probably on the fence that think Kentucky maybe isn't very good, and they're just kind of taking advantage of some teams that are struggling right now. Well, here's what I'll say. Tennessee was up to, like, number two, number three in the country, and they go and lose games to Vandy and Missouri. It, you're not going to make me feel bad because Kentucky beat Tennessee when they were supposed to. I mean, that's Tennessee's problem. That's not Kentucky's problem. So Kentucky's taking care of who they have to take care of. And if we value Tennessee as one of the better teams in the country, they had the six best odds to win the national championship just two weeks ago. <clears throat> so, I mean, look at this thing. Like, they're putting together good wins now against teams that two weeks ago having a lot better conversation about. Just because Tennessee's lost four or five or whatever it is doesn't take anything away from what Kentucky did in that game. It doesn't take anything away last night either on the road in Gainesville. Had Kentucky lost those games, we'd have been crushing them right now. So I'm not going to sit here and crush them for winning them because those teams are struggling. I'm going to say they did what they were supposed to do, which is what they weren't doing up until this point. Yeah, and that, that's what's so funny, seeing some of the rival fans and media members going, oh, are we supposed to you know, get excited about Kentucky beating a, a Colin Castleton, let, uh, a Florida team without Colin Castleton? 
you know, who who is 13 and 13 or whatever they are had been at that point. And it's like, no, we're not asking for your praise. We're not even praising. Like, we're not even sitting here going, well, you know, time to cut down the nets. You might as well ship us the national title trophy now. Like, obviously, we're not at that level. But from where we were a month ago and the, just the, the sustained success where – they're building it. Look, Sean, don't look now, but they now have the number 14 uh, overall adjusted efficiency in, in offense in, in all of college basketball for the year. But more specifically, in the last 10 games, they have the number three adjusted offensive efficiency. Uh, and since the South Carolina loss are number four uh, overall in that in that regard, they are putting together. Like, you know, I'm just going back to the hit piece from Jeff Goodman and Dana O'Neill and, you know, calling it an archaic offense and all this. And, and this team did have very real offensive struggles and mm-hmm. they they weren't doing things to put this team in, in position to succeed that we're now seeing now. Uh, but the growth is real and, and it's very fair to acknowledge just how far they've come in that regard where, yeah, the defense is still really underwhelming and, and that needs to get cleaned up. But uh, it, you'd be blind to just ignore the the continued sustained growth that we're seeing, especially on offense. Uh, and, and you know, I trust the defensive tools when push comes to shove. I think it's an effort thing. I think it's a will to win, you, you know, want to type deal. And I think when March Madness rolls around, I think that this team is going to figure it out how to be engaged on both ends of the floor, not just one. Uh, and I think that's where we're going to see this team, you know, kind of play at their best when they're desperate and, and you know, kind of backs against the wall. The biggest change for me and what's turned the corner for this team is I think just the attention to detail, the energy, but it's the glass. I think that's been one of the biggest differences and specifically Chris Livingston. Like I I think when you're doing things the way he's doing them right now, I mean, you look at the numbers last night overall as a team, Kentucky had 13 offensive rebounds, 15 second chance points. Florida had two offensive rebounds and zero second chance points. So you look at that number and it kind of negates that Florida shot 40% from the three-point line and hit eight threes. So when you look at the stats and you look at those things, you, you kind of see where Kentucky, you know, won that game. And I think that they're winning that game because they're dudes that are supposed to be the physicality part of this roster. They're now being those pieces. And Chris Livingston is one of those guys. But I got to keep giving Jacob Toppin some love too. Like we you know, I, I talked about the – the stretch that he'd been on double figure games and, and reaching uh, double figures in like 10 straight games. And now uh, adds another one in there with another performance of 19 points, 11 rebounds and efficient 19 points, seven to 10 shooting two of three from three, three or four at the free throw line in 35 minutes, only turned the ball over once. So not only is Chris rebounding, you also got Jacob. So from that spot last night, Kentucky got 29 points and 26 rebounds. And only two turnovers because Chris Livingston did not have a turnover in the 39 minutes that he played. That's going to win you a lot of games, but more importantly, when Kentucky gets healthy, it's going to get, now you're going to have some depth to go with the way that some of these guys are playing too. And that'll be the challenge when these guys come, come back. Is Cal going to want to roll with the five that he's been rolling with and kind of just continue to run them into the ground? Or is he going to trust and give these other guys some spot minutes to get some fresher legs on the floor? I mean, Cal's going to have an adjustment. To me, it's easier to coach when you don't have to, when you don't have anyone that you have to go to because you kind of just get in a rhythm with what you're doing. So finding that rhythm, and that's why I think it's important to get Savir and, and CJ back ASAP is to establish that rhythm now. That way you're not trying to do it in league tournament play going in the NCAA tournament. Because if you're at that point, I don't know if you even mess with it. Because we've seen what 
happens when there's an injury and somebody comes back. There is an adjustment to lineups and rhythm and establishing flow. I don't want to see that like we had to see last year late in the year. I kind of want this to be established and is what it is. And if Kentucky's playing this this well, maybe that's what Cal rolls with when it gets down to the NCAA tournament. And how about Jacob Toppin? Ten of his last 19 uh, from three and, and seven of his last 12. A, a non-shooter, basically the entirety of his his college basketball career. He's now a pretty dang consistent, uh, at least catch-and-shoot three-point specialist. I'm happy it's, for him. It, 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 me too, man. Like, God, I, I just go back to that post-Missouri game. I, I guess it was the maybe the Louisville um Louisville post game where he talked about just kind of his mental mm-hmm. health and how in a you know, rock bottom he hit and, and how he was just in a really, really bad place mentally. And for him to break through and, you know, become the player that we all kind of envision him becoming where, yeah, we, we know you're capable of knocking down shots and you can be that kind of, uh, you know, mid range specialist where you kind of work out of the high post and finding, finding things in that area. But don't forget that you are a 6'10", 45-inch vertical guy. Like, play above the rim, be that guy, and look at the way he's catching lobs and running, uh, you know, to the basket and finding those pa- those those passing lanes to, you know, to create those the, those above-the-rim opportunities. That has has opened up a whole new, you know, part of this team. And, and you know, I, I go back to with Chris Livingston kind of just becoming this putback specialist on this team. What frustrated me most about this team when Kentucky's offensive woes were at, at their worst – was because the ball would get inside to Oscar and they would tra- defenses would trap and everybody around Oscar would just basically say, "eh, you know, not my problem." They just would be completely not not engaged and uh, you know letting him just kind of eat inside, struggle inside by himself without moving, cre- you know, creating things away from the ball. And it was basically that that is why Kentucky was so one dimensional. Now they've realized, okay, if I if I put myself in position away from the ball when Oscar does have it, it either creates dump offs, it creates putback opportunities. You're seeing engagement elsewhere around Oscar. And I think that's allowing everybody else to kind of take a step up and making defenses hold other guys accountable as well. Instead of just having to zone in on, on Oscar. I think that's where we're seeing the real offensive growth come from is everybody around Oscar kind of look what we talked about from day one. Well, and you know, Oscar had a great night too. And I mean, I mean, another guy that's continuing to do things like last year, it was more, we saw it more frequently, right? The graphic by ESPN of Oscar Sheboy does something that's not been done since uh, dinosaurs. I mean, it's just like, you know, crazy <laughs> stuff and numbers. And then last night he, he goes and he does it again, but then you see that he only had four rebounds, but then you look and Chris had 15 and Jacob had 11 and it doesn't matter. Like you're picking up the slack. So he went and scored the points, but you had other dudes hitting the glass and, and doing their thing. And, and that's that's the thing that you want. You don't want to have to rely on that one guy to just be do his one thing. And if you, he doesn't do it, then you don't win. And last year there were games. If Oscar hadn't got what Oscar got, Kentucky wasn't winning games. I feel like Kentucky is finally getting to a point here where everyone is kind of hands on deck and everyone's doing their job. And there was a big shot there early, in, or I think it was. I can't remember the exact number of time on the clock in the second half. It was when Reeves hit the three that put Kentucky back ahead. I thought that was one of the biggest shots of the game. Florida had a lead. Mm-hmm. I think it was right after the incident happened with Casey Wallace and the fans, and then Reeves hits a three. So that put Kentucky ahead, and I thought that that was a big-time shot. So <clears throat> I think a lot of guys are doing their job right now, and that's the most encouraging thing about it. 
this doesn't seem to be a, an ego fed team at all right now. I think everybody's kind of bought into whatever their role is. And if it's rebounding and scoring, or if it's knocking down shots, or if it's uh Duthiero coming in and playing with a lot of energy for four minutes, they've, they've all bought in and that's what it takes to get back on track. But Kentucky's playing good basketball at the right time. And it's the time of the year where the committee, I don't care what they say, the committee pays more attention to basketball now than yeah. it does in November. And here's the other side. College basketball fans are watching basketball now because there's nothing else on when there was everything else on in November. I would be, I would rather be playing basketball now than be beating everybody in November. Yeah. I can compete. Uh, Lance Brooks says Livingston still has to start when CJ comes back. Right. A absolutely. I, I do think that you can't, you don't mess with that. At you, all. You, you have to continue to, to let him stack John Calipari's best teams in March are always freshman led. They're always McDonald's all American, you know, let those guys hitting their stride at the right time by, by seasons. And those teams always make the runs in March when, when they kind of find their groove and we're just starting to get that with Chris SEC freshman of the week, yep. uh, you, you know, getting double back to back, double doubles. He is just starting sure. to find his groove and, and impacting the game in so many different ways. You can't take him off the floor to sacrifice, yeah, and CJ does need to play, but he yes. he will he will become a fifteen minute per game guy, which is perfect. It's exactly what he he just needs to be a guy that comes in and impacts spacing, impacts the way defenses approach you, and and I think that's the recipe for success. Continue building on what Chris is doing well while incorporating a, a very clear threat from the bench. Here's how I view this as a coach. Let's just say they both come back. Let's say that CJ's back. Let's say Sabir's back. It is not about the guys playing right now fitting in with them. It is about CJ and Savir fitting in with the guys that are playing well now. That's the approach mm -hmm. you should take. It shouldn't be about, oh, we've got to we've got to learn how to play and figure out how to play with those guys. No, let them figure out how to play with us. We're playing well right now. Don't mess with anything. Let them figure it out. And if they play their way into a role and they can do it, and ideally that's what you want, you let them play their way in. Don't try to make somebody play their way out just to make a spot. You do not mess with anything that is working right now. As a coach, you ride it, ride it, ride it. It's not broken. Let these two, or especially CJ, if, if he's uh, coming back sooner, possibly let him come in and figure out how to play with the guys that are playing well right now. Do not make this a, we got to fit in with CJ. Let make it a CJ has got to fit in with us because I think that that jump shot, if it, if he starts knocking down some shots and stuff, it's going to be easy to fit in. Savir is your your Adu Thero replacement, who Adu has been playing, you know, five, six, seven minutes or whatever. A, 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 obviously, an expanded version of that. Uh, and I said that on the last show. Savir is not going to rush back from a, a a pretty substantial ankle sprain. He's not going to rush himself back to play five minutes a game. He's just not like I, I wouldn't if I were in his shoes either, because it, it just sets up long term, you know, issues and and uh, you know potential long term you know, injury concerns on his own end. And he has to be concerned about himself as well. And that's, that's kind of, you got to find that happy medium. He can't be a, a 25, 30 minute guy coming back with what's working so well right now, but you also can't let Kaysen continue to play 39 minutes, Chris play 39 minutes, Antonio play 37, whatever it is. You got to find that happy medium where you get back to, you know, Chris playing 32 case and playing 32, the, the, the main core rotation playing, 30 to 35 minutes. And then you have CJ and, and Savir as the complimentary pieces playing 
12 to 15 minutes. And I think that's your rotation. I, I, I don't think Damien's going to play. I don't think Ugo's going to play. Lance, very, very sparingly, I think. And, yeah. and you know, Adu, I guess, is kind of that, you know, maybe depending on when Savir comes back, he's the other guy uh, if, if Savir doesn't. But I think that's your rotation. It's going to be it's going to be seven. Absolutely going to be seven going into March. Yeah, you have your spot guys that will play in spots, right? Depending on what is needed. If you if you need a guard because of foul trouble, and that's another thing too that we should point out about last night. Them playing virtually five guys, they they avoided foul trouble the entire game. I think Oscar finished with Absolutely. three, so I thought that was huge because it didn't force Cal to have to go somewhere that he wasn't comfortable going down the stretch. Because if that had been the case in a tight game, we may be having a different discussion right now about the results. So I thought staying out of foul trouble was key last night as well. So a lot of good. This team is really starting to to piece together something. I think they're, to me, I think they're knocking on the door, probably breaking back into the top 25, given the way that they've been playing. And look where they stand right now in league standings. Look where they sit. Who would have thought the way that we talked about this team there for a bit, and heck, I mean, I was talking about John Calipari pretty much being at the the end of the road here at Kentucky after they lost to Georgia, and, and I, mean, I think a lot of the stuff that we said was uh, was right, and I think that we had every, you know what I mean, like the intentions of things that we say, we just tell it how we see it, and I think after that day, a lot of people probably saw it the same way. But credit to Cal, credit to this team, they they got back on track, and now you're looking at a team right there, the standings: Alabama fourteen and one, A and M thirteen and two. How about how about the Aggies doing what they're doing? And uh, that win ends up being one of the best wins for Kentucky. And Kentucky's sitting at third. And here we talked about this team on the bubble. That's what's crazy. They were on the bubble literally three games ago, about in or not. And here they sit, 10-5, and 19-9 overall, and third in the, in the SEC, behind a, ahead of a team that was just inside the top three in the nation just a couple of weeks ago. Like, crazy. Yeah, and to their credit, and, and – Again, I think you brought up a good point. I don't think anything we were saying at that time was was wrong because it was so frustrating seeing a team with clearly talented pieces and guys that know how to score and know how to rebound and know how to play defense and and, and do all these things, just not know how to work together as a team. And, and, and to say, you know, after that Georgia game, why did we have any real reason to think that it was going to magically get fixed to close out the, the regular season or going into March? Like, motor issues don't get fixed. Defensive lapses like that don't get fixed. And, and that's where I thought it was justified in saying, I just don't see where this turnaround is coming from because if they haven't gotten it up to this point, what makes me think that they're going to get it in the last six games? And to John Calipari's credit, he said, shut up. I know what I'm doing. This team knows what they're doing. We'll get it figured out. He was right again. Three straight quad one wins, uh, you know, Obviously not playing perfect basketball, but for them to, to, to win the way they have been winning against quality competition uh, and really building the resume they have, they des- the, the staff deserves credit. The, the players deserve credit. Like you said, Jacob Toppin, you know, the individual growth that he's seen, Chris Livingston, his individual growth, Kaysen Wallace, a guy that has not been shooting well. And, you know, obviously that makes sense when you're, when you become an off ball guy, so used to being a catch and shoot guy and you, switch over to a, a primary ball handler that's going to mess up your shooting rhythm you're not going to get you know get the ball in spots that you would that you were before where you were finding shooting success he has completely had to change his game around and he is 
thrived in that role as a playmaker and as a distributor, you know, high turnover, uh, you know, six turnovers down in Gainesville, but still his growth and and just each individual player kind of growing toward the one common goal together, I think is the the biggest breakthrough that this team has had. And uh, yeah, credit to all the players, credit to John Calipari, uh, because I, I certainly did not believe that it was happening because they hadn't shown that that was possible, but they, they continue to prove them wrong. And, and I hope that we can continue once we actually hit March and it's backs against the wall, you know, win or go home. I hope they continue to prove everybody wrong. Oh, I, I agree. And uh, when you're talking about the resume, it was important to get last night because the Auburn game is now a quad two where they stand in the net. So you, you wanted to get that quad one on the road. So I thought that was a, a good thing too, to, to take care of it. Uh, and I guess a couple of the notes from Oscar, because we continue to brush off like 25 point performances, continues to shatter records. And like you just talk about it in passing. He goes 25 points, 12 of 13 shooting, uh, you know, 92.3 percent shooting is the most field goal attempts with only one miss in a, a single game in program history. Fourth highest in one game in Kentucky history with at least eight attempts uh, and the highest by a Wildcat in a 25 point outing over the last 25 seasons. Um, he is only one of eight players nationally this season to go 12 or 13 or better uh, from the field in a single game. And he hit his 1,000 point point as a Kentucky Wildcat. Like the way, and the, the way he was scoring too, just knocking down mid-range jumpers and kind of, you know, expanding his game. He talked all off season about how he wants to make, you know, incorporate that and make that a, a key part of his game. You know, he's making the shots that matter. And then, you know, him being away from the basket, I think allowed for everybody else to kind of get, uh, you know, take care of business elsewhere, especially inside Chris Livingston, Jacob Toppin, uh, finishing the inside the way they were. So if Oscar can be that role for the rest of the season, uh, I'm feeling very, very, very confident about just where this team can go. Yep. I've, I certainly feel a lot more confident about where this team is now than what I felt just 10 days ago. Like 10 days ago, it was a rocky road. Going into Mississippi State, you're thinking, okay, what well, – this this is a de- this has to be a desperate team. It was playing a bubble game, essentially, in or out, win it you're in, lose it you're out, and they have turned the corner. They're they've legit I think reached a point where they've turned the corner. Now you follow that up with a home win on Saturday. You get a win against Vandy, and you're starting to close the regular season on a really really good streak, playing your best basketball, and that's when you want to be playing it. So I feel so much better about where this team is now than what I felt just ten days ago. If not they even close ago, out, if you think about it, like eight days ago. Yeah, if they close out with two wins to close out the regular season, they're a three seed in the SEC. They they go into Nashville, they get the night game, the nine o'clock game in Nashville. Uh, as that three seed, and it sets up a potential head-head battle against Texas A&M, who you already beat at home. It's going to be another very similar home environment. Texas A&M, I don't think that they're going to travel all that well uh, in Nashville, and that would set up, uh, you, you know, that Saturday matchup. I'd set up a, a pretty solid run. You'd have to uh, beat likely Missouri uh, on Friday night, and then that would set up that Texas A&M matchup. Uh, and you know, I, I I think that's a path that I like quite a bit. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, I think it's going to be a fun, fun weekend in Nashville for sure. It is. Uh, that that bracket starting to really take shape now uh, when you get this late in the year. So you're definitely going to be a good weekend in Nashville when that comes around. But 
I mean, Kentucky just continues to take care of business. They still got work to do. Now it's about not really where you sit in Nashville. It's about where you're sitting in that tournament that follows the SEC tournament in Nashville. And they still have opportunities to strengthen this resume. They're going to have plenty of opportunities to strengthen that resume in the league tournament as well. And, I mean, you have to really like where Kentucky's at right now. When you look at Tennessee and what they've done, they're struggling right now. Uh, you're not getting all the positive talk about the volunteers like we had just what three or four weeks ago after they all the non-conference games that they had won they're not doing well in the league Kentucky didn't do well in the non-conference but they're doing well in the league and the conversation shifted just given the what have you done for me lately category and Kentucky sweeping Tennessee so Kentucky in a better spot than Tennessee right now when it comes to probably how you feel about the team but the seating doesn't show that and uh, Kentucky still has work to do in that category Let's go answer a couple of these questions that we have. Um, if you have any anything, by by all means, hit us in the, the chat. We will answer as many as we can. Uh, Denzel Hall asked uh, about our thoughts on Kaysen getting clotheslined last night. You want my opinion? Sure. I don't think it was that big of a deal. Ooh. And when I watched, I mean, sure, like you got to get rid of the guy because he – made contact with a player, but when I looked at it, I don't think that it was intentional. I really don't. Like, I think like My, when you see the way he's looking, I think he was trying to point that he was out of bounds in case and ran and his arm was there. And that's where they got hung up. Like I didn't see the guy physically try to stop him from going down the floor. That's just my take. And that's not my take last night. When I first saw it, I'm like, what the hell? You know, like, what are you doing here? And now <laughs> after I, took the night and looked at it today from like different angles. I'm like, yeah, it shouldn't have happened. And you still got to, I mean, if that happens at Rupp Arena, regardless of what it is that they're getting rid of somebody too. I didn't think it was that big of a deal though. I really didn't. My concern wasn't the guy that had the clothesline. It was the guy next to him that like actively hugged Casey. And kinda, like guy. he, yeah. he was the guy that kind of held him back for a second yeah. and then did the, Oh, I didn't do anything. That's, it wasn't me. Yep. That was the guy, and he stayed. He was able yeah, to that's sit. That's what I'm saying. That, the I, other I, guy I, was the why? guy that I thought didn't do anything intentionally. I honestly don't even think he even knew what happened. Like, he was yeah. pointing. Like, he was pointing and looking at the official and not even looking at Kaysen. And then Kaysen runs through the arm, and then he you see him start trying to take his arm back. But I'm with you. The other guy I had more of a problem with than I did the guy that got ejected. Yeah, I kept watching the rest of the game that that guy was still sitting there for the rest of the game. I was like, why is this guy still sitting here when the other guy, yeah, like it was the the, the issue with him is, you know, him him being involved in the play, set up a, a, a bucket on the other end. It, it, it kind of held Kaysen back from potentially, you know, getting the stop on the other end, a pin, pin block on the backboard, whatever. That's where the tech comes in on my end. Like I saw that and I was like, that, that guy is deserving of a tech for that specific reason. But I don't think it was as intentional on second and third and fourth viewing as opposed to as it looked live. But on second and third, fourth viewing, the guy that was really the guilty party was the one that hugged him. And, and he was able to sit there and drink his beer and chill out for the rest of the game. I'm like, he got away with it. I don't like that. That that That's the issue that I have. So uh, I agree. I, that, that's, that's my thoughts on it. But um it is what it is. It's just kind of, I think, back-to-back games against Florida that the fan issue has become something with Doug throwing the birds at the eruption zone crowd back at Rupp. And it just it feels like whatever for whatever reason, Florida continues to be uh, the, the the fan back and forth is, has been a bigger part of the game than it needed to be, which is 
uh, frustrating. Um, Zach Bingwin, Bingman says, what are your predictions on who walks on senior night and what is the reason for, for them? Oh, that's a good question. I think Oscar walks. I think Jacob Toppin walks. I think hmm, Brennan Canada walks. Antonio Reeves, do you think he walks, Sean? Hmm. Man, that's a good question. Yes. He is such an interesting decision coming up because he does things that, like, I get it. He came in on a two-year plan, I think wasn't expecting to be as far along as he was when he actually got here, and it played a lot better than I think he was personally expecting. The, the, the transition hasn't been all that difficult for him, and he's been doing a lot of things that you look at in a – you know, Emmanuel Quickly is the perfect example. The way Emmanuel Quickly has kind of stepped in and been a, a, a day one contributor in the NBA and thriving in that role with the Knicks, I wouldn't be shocked if Antonio Reeves becomes that guy. But is he, is he ready to be that right now? I don't know. And I think it, it, he does have a really difficult decision. I know Kentucky's going to recruit him back. Uh, and I think it, that would be a huge, huge, huge get back for uh, Kentucky. Definitely want to keep an eye on. But uh he kind of has to make that decision pretty quickly just in terms of does he walk or not. Um, I would probably guess that he does just in case, you know, just, just in case he does decide to go to get that one moment with BBN. I, I think he deserves that. He's had a hell of a year. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he does, but still something to keep an eye on. I, I agree. I, I think he walks too, just in case, and then makes the decision later on about whether or not he plays another year at Kentucky or if he moves on. So I do think that I agree with all the guys that you said there. Um, going to a titanium Titan. Are we scared to play Missouri again or no in the SEC tournament? What are your thoughts? No, I'm going to say no. I think there was another question about was Kentucky just playing bad then? I think Kentucky had no idea who they were at that point. Identity-wise, nothing. I don't think they were doing anything right. No energy, no attention to detail on either end of the floor. I just think that that's a, a game that you kind of throw out at this point. Honestly, I think I throw out a lot of those games from November to December. I just think that this is a different team. They've kind of found that identity. Guys like Chris Livingston that are playing well now weren't playing well then. And uh, it's a completely different team, right? Xavier Wheeler was leading the point for a lot of those games, and, and now it's Case and Wallace. And I just think that it's a different team, and I think it's hard to really stack up a game that was played in late December, and now you look up in late February and possibly playing them again in March. I just think it's two totally different teams at this point. That game – in Columbia, there was a lot of stuff going around, uh, going on with the team in the locker room. That that was kind of where everything kind of came to a head um, behind the scenes, where all the turmoil and some of the you know very serious issues going on behind the scenes. That that was kind of where it met its it was at its peak, and I I have thrown that game out completely for that reason. And you know, it was the first true true SEC road game. You know, the last uh, road game they had was at Gonzaga, you know, that 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 field or that and not uh, in the dog pound or whatever it's called. But the uh, Spokane Arena, uh, it was a, a that was their first true road game on the year. But, you know, you kind of throw that throw that out because it was a unique circumstance the game was kind of put together late, all that stuff. The, the Missouri game, considering what was going on with the team considering where the team was at that time on the court. I, I just, I don't use that game at all. And, and I, yeah, I, I do think that they would look at that game in particular 
uh, in the SEC tournament is kind of a chip on the shoulder type game where it's like, all right, that was where we saw the worst version of ourselves and we really want to make a statement and, and kind of, you know, put that game behind us and show who we actually are. And, and I, I am kind of rooting for that matchup, honestly, because of how things uh, win. And I do like Kentucky's chances uh, should should that happen again. A couple questions, obviously, about Chris Livingston and, you know, what's going on. Darrell Williams says uh, Chris Livingston could have a P.J. Washington-like second year if he returns, uh, but he will most likely go pro if his recent ascension continues. Uh, Chris Livingston is a very, very fascinating uh, situation because, as I said on the show, I was uh, not expecting him back. I, you know, I thought he had his bags packed, ready to hit the portal by year's end. Um, and I, I think there's been some very real growth on both sides of just kind of accountability, looking at each other in the mirror and saying, look, I wasn't putting you in position to succeed earlier, but Chris wasn't putting himself in position to succeed, I don't think, earlier as well. And I think they both kind of had to look at each other in the mirror, look at themselves in the mirror and go, all right, let's throw out what happened earlier in the year and, and you know, do each other favors and put each other in in better positions to succeed. And uh, that that's involved, you know, accepting of different roles and understanding that he does need more playing time to kind of unleash the, the best version of him and things like that. So I, I think there's been a lot of growth and I have definitely changed my thoughts on, you know, I heard that the portal was very likely for him and I've now changed my stance to uh, that. If, if he does come back to college, I do think that it'll be a Kentucky, which I think is a, a huge, huge, huge thing for Kentucky. However, he has been getting has progressing so much as of late that I would not be shocked if he does put his name in the, in the draft. And he does have the clutch connection with, you know, Rich Paul and LeBron James and those guys that they will be able to pull some strings for him for him. And, and I would not be shocked if he is drafted, especially if he continues at the tra- trajectory that he is. So that is one to keep a very close eye on, Sean. What do you think happens with Chris Livingston and what could he be next season as a sophomore if he does decide to return? Oh, boy, what he could be as a sophomore makes me hope he comes back <laughs> because I think he could be dominant another season at Kentucky. But also I think this all depends on one the run Kentucky goes on. If Kentucky goes on a deep run, I think a lot of it is because of what Chris Livingston is doing right now and continues to do. And if he does that and Kentucky's winning, then he's going to look even better, probably plays his way in. But if not, I'd really – Jack, I'm telling you, I I think regardless, I think sophomore Chris Livingston could be one of those all-SEC guys that kind of just turns heads in year two and just continues to develop his game, gets better at the jump shot, gets his body even stronger than what it already is. Uh, continues to get better on the defensive end, playing with energy, get, develops an even better skill set. Like I, I would be super excited about what year two would look like, and I think that that's a strong selling point. He came in wanting to be a one-and-done. He was a top-ten recruit in America, McDonald's All-American, had all the accolades. He was somebody that was expecting to be a, a pro after eight months. He, that's who he wanted to be, and I don't blame him. I mean, that's what every kid dreams of you know, out of high school at his status and his, you know, where he was uh, when he left high school, things were not going well. He was not put in that position, you know, he wasn't putting himself in that position. And I think everybody involved thought that, it, you know, especially on his end thought that a, you know, fresh start elsewhere would allow him to do that in a second year. Uh, but I do think that when push comes to shove, you look at how bad the ne- the 2024 draft is, uh, you know, Jonathan Gavoni just put his out and, and it's it's terrible, absolutely terrible draft that that's kind of what makes me think, OK, John Calipari has a very real recruiting pitch to him to come back next year. 
uh, and be a lottery pick. Like right now, I think if he were to go pro and continues at the pace that he's going on right now, he might might be able to slide into the end of the first round, maybe, but very likely a second round pick. But if he comes back next year and explodes the way that he's kind of building toward uh, right now, I think I, I agree. I think he could be an all SEC type guy and, and dominate the way him and, and Justin Edwards would complement each other at that three and four spot, I think would be terrific. I think that they would get the best out of each other uh, and complement each other so, so well. And I do think that if Chris does come back playing alongside Justin Edwards, I, I do think that uh, he is a lottery pick next year. And I think that's something that he needs to keep in mind. It might be a little bit of an ego hit to say that you weren't ready after one year at Kentucky because everybody's ready after one year at Kentucky if you're a top 10 pick, a top 10 recruit. Uh, but I think if he ha- you know, kind of has some accountability on his end and goes, I'm not where I need to be, but I can be a lot better, I, I do think that the reward of him coming back could be better than anybody else on the team. Antonio Reeves would be great as a second-year guy here and – uh, you know, everybody else on the roster, like the freshmen, all that. But there's not one guy that has more to gain by coming back another year than Chris Livingston. I think so, too. I think that he has everything to gain with another year at Kentucky. And you don't want to rush this process and be out the door because I think that he has star potential. And you're seeing just, I think, him scratching the surface of it right now. Like, there, there's a lot more levels and areas to his game that can get a lot better. And right now, you're seeing him do it off of effort alone, I think. Like, his just energy and effort on the glass and his – uh, playing bully ball at times near the rim. I, I think you're just seeing him just kind of have a mindset that's different. You keep that mindset and add some other things to it, and you've got a dangerous player. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of people. T- yeah, I'll see uh, Ugo is projected to be drafted next year. NBA teams like him. I mean, he's a guy that is, with, for my money, one of the best shot blockers that I've seen in high school in a really long time. He has instincts that just nobody else has in very, very, very limited minutes uh, with Kentucky this year. He has shown to be an elite defender, still unbelievably raw offensively and uh, going to need a, a lot of growth in that regard. But I would not be shocked at all. And the plan for him was to be a two-and-done, you know, could come in almost like an basically a redshirt year uh, this season with Kentucky and then come back and kind of anchor the front court next year. And I think that's where, you know, some guys asking about, you know, Oscar Sheboy coming back and what happens with Jacob Toppin and guys like that. Uh, I just think that Jacob is looking, w- will be looking for a fresh start. He, you know, he's now in his fourth year, his pro clock is ticking very, very loudly at this point. Um, he came in this year thinking, Whatever happens, happens. I'm going to go pro, and 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 I I still would be shocked if he decides to come back. And there were some questions earlier um, in the day when I broke the news about uh, Chris Livingston signing a, a deal with uh, Beats by Dre and and uh, Jacob Toppin doing a deal with with uh, AT and T. If that impacted anything with them returning, it doesn't. They're they're only end of year deals that impact this season and this season only. So I, I don't see either of those deals impacting anything. Um, Chris definitely more likely to come back than, than Jacob Toppin. I just think Jacob came in on a one-year plan this, this season being his last, and I don't think anything's changed with, changed with that. So um, it's, it, Chris is the one to keep a close eye on. Definitely not uh, Jacob in that regard. Um, Dave says, I feel if CJ would leave and start focusing on his marriage. A couple other people were asking about CJ, what would happen with, with CJ, um, you know, if Chris comes back or, you know, just depending on the, the rotation, how do you see that unfolding with Chris or with, with CJ? Because he, he's a guy that I think would be a perfect stable vet guy for a, a, a group of young guards, but I think he does have a decision to make with his health and, 
yeah. you know, not being able to kind of put things together with that. It wouldn't be a shock to see him hang it up either. It, it wouldn't, honestly, given his health and, and things. But I think that there would still be a role for him in your program. And he would he can do the thing that sometimes you – I mean, a lot of times you need, right? Teams go some zone, you put him in there and knocks down a couple of shots. I, I would like to see him be healthy and stay healthy at Kentucky. I mean, I hate that he's even dealt with what he's had to deal with this year. I mean, it's a guy that's missed so much college basketball over his career, but he's got a lot of other things going for him in life and, and things like that. And I could see him making that mature decision at some point to to step away when on his terms and not on his body's terms. So, but then again, I mean, you're you're talking about a guy that he loves the game of basketball. He loves Kentucky. He likes wearing that Kentucky white and blue. So if he's able and he thinks his body's in a place to continue doing it there and can come back and find a role, then maybe he does. I think that's an interesting decision going into the offseason. Yeah, uh, and Grant Peters, my guy, uh, giving us a, a couple little bonuses. Appreciate that, as always. Uh, he has 2023-2024 starting lineup prediction as of today. Um, I, I think it is fascinating. And I guess I – I lean CJ comes back. I, I do think that he is kind of weirdly like obsessive with uh, about basketball and, you know, no matter what his health situation is and the kind of the adversity he's had to overcome in that regard at the end of the day, he's addicted to playing basketball and, uh, you know, embraces the grind that comes with it. And I do think that he'll kind of have that look at himself in the mirror moment where he'll go, I'm not ready to give up the game that I love more than anything. Um, so I, I do see, a tough decision for him, but I do think it's one that ends up with him coming back. And I do think that kind of the same situation with Antonio Reeves, just in terms of a hard decision for him that maybe he wanted to go after this season and, uh, you know, maybe even plays himself into that position. But I think understands that he has so much to gain by coming back and so much more growth that he could have in terms of draft status. If he does come back again, an unbelievably terrible draft in 2024 uh, that I do think that Kentucky gets both of them back as of today. Um, so if you're asking for my starting lineup, uh, incorporating that, I think that we get DJ DJ playing alongside Antonio in the starting lineup with depending on what happened, happens. With, I'm going to guess Chris leaves still and goes, goes pro. Um, I'm guessing we get him probably CJ back in the starting lineup or uh, yeah, I'll go DJ Antonio, CJ, Justin Edwards as a small ball four with Aaron Bradshaw as the five. And then I think you have Ugo coming off the bench with Rob as the kind of seventh man type of role, spark plug, Lou Williams kind of spark scorer off the bench. Um, and I think who else am I missing? Damien, yeah. Damien, I still, he's in such an interesting boat. What do you think happens with him? Cause I still, I still keep going back and forth on him. I'm back and forth on it too. I really am. I mean, there's just so many factors there with Damien that you just don't really know, uh, where he falls. I would, I would like to think honestly that there's a, a place of comfort at Kentucky that's kind of been built and developed, especially in recent months with him. But then again, I also, know that there's been a lot to go through that I could see him going back closer to home and, and being around family. So I know Jack, you know, he's a, he's a big family guy, but I, I could see that too. But I also think that everything he's gone through and he's got that strong foundation and base there in Lexington that's been there for him as well. I could see him staying put too. Yeah. And I think regardless, you're only going to get one of Lance and Damien back. I do just because from a pure numbers perspective, Lance, 
has embraced the role that he has had for so long. And, and you know, we obviously appreciate him and love him and, and uh, just kind of who he has become as a Kentucky Wildcat. Uh, but at some point, something's got to give in terms of playing time. And you don't want to just sit there and play maybe two, three minutes in any given night. And, and at some point you do want to play. And I, I do think that there's an interest in him, you know, playing with DJ kind of where things started with him, you know, closing out his high school career. DJ was his starting point guard at Camden. It'd be a really cool moment for him to end his college career with Kent with DJ as his starting point guard at Kentucky. So uh, that's definitely something to keep an eye on, but I, I do think you only get one of Damian and, and Lance back. And um, if I had to guess, I'd probably say Lance returns Damian goes if I had, if I had to guess, but I still think that's kind of a, a crap shoot up in the air. Um, be interesting. And I do think the idea of Rob coming off the bench, FT says Rob off the bench is crazy. Um, I think it'd be a lot of fun seeing him kind of come in and be that spark plug. Just go, go give me 15 real quick. Uh, I think I'd have a blast watching him in that role. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I would, I would love to see lucky land casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky, lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, Rob Dillingham in that role for, role for sure as uh, coming in instant offense and playing with high energy and doing his thing. But there's a lot of things that you look at when you look at next season's roster and some of these stay or go decisions with some of these swing guys that Kentucky has on this roster. And even not just the the swing guys, but the just the depth pieces like a Lance Ware or Damian Collins. There are so many decisions that impact where this roster goes that I think it's so hard right now to, outside of the freshman, kind of look at anyone and say they're going to be on this roster a year from now. Like I think the, the safest pick is the freshman. Everybody else, you can kind of talk your way into staying and you can kind of talk a scenario into leaving, which makes it hard to kind of predict exactly where it is. Yeah, and I think the, the same thing with projecting, you know, who who, who plays what the, the starters and how many minutes each guy's get, get. Because you don't – when you have that many pieces coming in, five freshmen coming in who do all different things and how that transition is going to be to this level – that will determine, you know, if, if I, I expect DJ is a very high floor guy, I, I really just don't envision a scenario where he doesn't start. But Rob is one of those, if he, if it, you know, the way I watched him play the other night for OTE, he was tremendous. The best I've seen him with my own two eyes, just making decisions for other, you know, making plays for others, his own personal decisions, you know, shot selection was a lot better. If he plays like that, he's a starter. But if he plays like I've seen him play 90% of the other games that I've seen him, he needs to be a bench guy, uh, you know, uh, ease him in type situation where you get kind of a more stable presence like Antonio Reeves or CJ Frederick, where you know what you're going to get out of, out of him. Um, you got to be able to complement both of each other. You can't have all five freshmen starting together. You can't have all five vets starting together. You kind of, I think there's going to be a nice little mix where you're going to get complementary pieces who works well together. And uh, because there are so many moving parts, I think we're not going to know any of that until we get to probably August. If I, if I had to guess, uh, answer a couple more questions before we get out of here. Um, Wes Smith says, when is Kentucky going to offer J Jasper Johnson uh, out of Woodford County? I, I think it's going to happen. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, you know, anytime 
you know, in the imminent future, but I do think that it happens. Um, Kentucky doesn't offer any scholarships to 2025s until June. We have seen that Cal just refuses to offer uh, kids at that age this early. Darren Peterson being an exception because he is very likely going to reclass to 2024. So just kind of see him as a 24 kid. Uh, but I do think he could be one of the very early ones for uh, 2025, especially in June. I think Kentucky really, really does like him and sees him as kind of a D'Angelo Russell type of, of scorer. Uh, and I think he would translate very, very strongly at the college level at a place like Kentucky. So that's definitely one to keep an eye on. I think he will be one of the first offers in that 2025 class. Zach Bingman says, if if Livingston leaves for the draft, could we see a pursuit of Gigi Jackson or a player of that caliber incoming class may have a relationship with Jackson already due to reclass? I have a hard time seeing that, Sean. What do you think of, of that possibility? Um, I, I just think there there's not going to be a whole – yeah, there, there's not going to be a whole lot of, uh, I think, added conversation with the portal this year because of just how many pieces they have on their roster as is. It'll be recruiting those guys back and kind of grooming the the freshmen coming in. So I, I don't see a huge uh, portal offseason. I don't I don't either. I don't think uh, I could actually see this roster being no portal next year, yeah. depending on who comes back. Now, if if Reeves leaves and they and they lose another guy, then I think they they go get a portal piece somewhere. But I could see this roster being returning players and incoming freshmen and no portal pieces whatsoever. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think that's probably best. Um, unfortunately, I think just Cal's best teams, and and I don't think he is. It's it's hard to coach a guy with a very high floor and a low ceiling. You know how much, like you said to start the show, how much better is Antonio Reeves going to get at at Kentucky. I think he kind of is who he is, and you know, just in terms of comfort, maybe. But he's not going to explode into something completely different than what he's showing right now. Um, CJ Frederick, how much more is he going to grow at the college level? You know, he just kind of is who he is outside of just getting comfortable and making the shots that he has made already at the at, the, at this level. He's better when he can kind of take a piece of clay and mold it by the end of the year. And I think that's what you're going to get with a guy like DJ, a guy like Rob. Rob is like the piece of clay. Like that is, if there's ever been a piece of clay to mold, it's been Rob Dillingham to kind of take away some of the bad habits, add good habits and, and you know, use that potential in the talent, the, the pure talent that he has and kind of turn it into one of John Calipari's elite guards that, that he's brought in. And I do think that's the, the goal with him. Uh, Brandon Bowler, I guess the complimentary thing, the, the, the contrary Part of that is Brandon Bauer says, do you think we find a Nate Sestina type player in the portal? Uh, Sean, I think if there is an addition in the portal, I do think it would be somebody like a Nate Sestina, kind of a plug and play, only come in and knock down a shot or two, be a vet vet guy. Like if, if CJ does decide to hang it up this offseason, that would kind of be a, a replacement option. Some Somebody like that to come in and be a, a, a vet piece, a locker room guy. I think so too. And if, if they add a portal piece, it would be a guy that does the things like Nate does or as needed. Like if you need a shooter, you go get a shooter. If you need a some depth at the four or the five, depending on who leaves, I think that's the only way that they would go portal. It's not going to be a starting player. I don't see it. It'll be a role guy if they go portal. It won't be a guy that's going to play a ton of minutes and, and things like that. I think it would be a guy that's going to play in spots. And I think that's the thing with the portal, right? Like there's, there's a lot of talent on this team coming in next year. So if they do go portal, it has to be a guy that sees a fit immediately. And in the fit that they have for themselves, ideally, because 
uh, given what Kentucky has coming in and what we possibly think could come back, uh, the backcourt seems to be no fits. It seems to be it would have to be a front court piece if they add something. Uh, uh, Scott McDonald says, where can we pick up that fiddle and five shirt? I got this from home. It was at home field apparel. It, yeah. Home field apparel. I think they, they, I don't know if they still have it on online, but I got like three or four t-shirts from them and, you know, sweatshirt or two. And when they dropped their Kentucky line, I don't know if the, it, it was just kind of a limited time deal. And they, I don't know if they still have Kentucky stuff, but it, it's one of my favorite shirts. I got one that, that's a 96 team as well. Um, let me see. I'm pulling it up as we take it. So yeah, they still do have some Kentucky gear on there. So I don't know if they have the actual fiddle and five shirts, but they do have some Kentucky retro stuff that I'm a big fan of. I, I'm a, I, I'm a sucker for retro stuff. So, um, if anybody has other retro gear to throw my way, by all means do it. And I will wear it on these live streams because I'm an absolute sucker for it. Um, any other questions? Oh, uh, Ben from Kentucky. Who would win one-on-one, Jack or Sean? We had Dave, Jack, 100%. Um, Titanium Titans is Sean because he coaches and can play smarter than Jack. Great question. So, and I agree with that. In a five-on-five game, I think Sean would kick my butt. But in a one-on-one, I think I'd, I'd win. I, I, I'm definitely better suited with my game for like, you know, one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three. Because I, I get, I have more confidence as a, ball handler and go getter for my own go get my own shot and i'm kind of selfish in in those types of settings and whenever i'm in a more of a team setting i don't want to like go over the top and go get my own shot so you're definitely in in that setting probably better but i'm gonna go get my buckets and and one-on-one two-on-two three-on-three just because it it, it suits my game a little bit better you would post me every time and one-on-one and I'd just foul the crap out of you every single time. So I would, uh, we would have a significant size disadvantage on my end in one-on-one, but I'll let you step out and I'd cook you from about 18, 19 feet. Sean's got a, he's got a flamethrower from, from, from deep. So that, that'd be the only, (laughs) that'd be my only concern is that he'd get, he'd get hot. Uh, Devin Anderson, whatever happened to the alternate jerseys. Yeah. They were rolling with them earlier on in the year and, and you know, it, it always happens. They only. I might have just been a here shut up for a while, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. While while the struggles are are mounting up, let's just toss my bone and and shut them up for a minute. Uh, I was told that they still have more to unveil at some point. I don't know if it's going to be this year, but I think they wanted to. I think they wanted to space it out over the course of a couple of years, and I don't know if because of the current season struggles, they had to kind of like put more than they were anticipating, but I do think that they want to align retro jerseys and, you know, throwback alternates to align with like 25 year anniversaries and 30 year anniversaries and, you know, iconic teams with iconic uniforms uh, based on anniversary or, uh, uh, you know, a matchup that was super important back for, you know, the 92 team or the 96 team or whatever the case is. I think that is definitely, um, what they're trying to do. I, I know that they have a couple more up their sleeve. I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but uh, probably not considering we're already right here at, at postseason play, but uh, next couple of years, keep a close eye, Sean. We're going to get some, some good stuff, some good retro stuff. Yep. I think uh, some good stuff is coming. I mean, this is what they've done this year. I'm happy with, uh, I love the new jerseys and I love the alternate jerseys and the things, but I do think that those alternate jerseys were at a time where they were trying to create some excitement when there wasn't much excitement. So, uh, and don't mess with it now. Don't bring them back. 
keep wearing what you've been wearing. Like, don't mess with anything going on right now. If you wore white underwear to work yesterday, you wear white underwear <laughs> again on Saturday. If you didn't wear any underwear to work, you don't wear any underwear to work tomorrow. Hope hey, you wear hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, says, where do you think Bronny goes? And is he really top 10 or was that just for clicks? Uh, it was just for clicks. And it was yet another example of um, agenda pushing and uh, favor giving for national national media outlets that continue to need their back scratched and do favors to make that happen, I guess is the simplest way to put it. And, and if you just think of it from a, you're drafting LeBron James standpoint, I guess that's, that's kind of what you got to be thinking because that's, that will inevitably happen. Whoever takes Bronny in the draft is getting LeBron as a vet minimum guy in free agency. So when you think of it in that terms, I, I do think that makes a little bit more sense to justify the top 10 status. But using the justification as well, he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the class, and he has been growing while everybody else in the class has plateaued. It's You're just lying. You're just creating narratives and in, in, in lying about a kid that, yes, he I'm higher on Bronny James than most. I do think that he's a hell of a player, and, and I do think he has continued to climb and is getting a lot better. And I do think he's going to be a very good college player. But to make him out to be, yep. you know, a, a top 10 pick at this stage is just so not fair to everybody else in the class is not fair to Bronny to make him out to be something that he's not, you know, all the overtime, you know, slam all the, you know, media sensation uh, companies going Bronny James top 10 pick, you know, using that as their headlines and all that. It's not fair. It's that's not realistic. You are basically saying LeBron. LeBron James is a top 10 pick as a 40-year-old man in 2024 while getting a role player in his son. You know, that's, the, that's the, the conversation. So it's just way more complicated than I think it's being made out to be. And, yeah, it is a little bit frustrating, and uh, I totally uh, I totally understand it. I think that may uh, – Titanium Titan, are the rumors about CJ coming back Saturday true? Yeah. I created those rumors. They, they they happen on the show. And, yes, it, it, the expectation is that he comes back Saturday. I was told that he is supposed to return to practice very very shortly, and that is my uh, expectation. Still don't know about Savir. I don't think even UK knows yet, but Added UK depth, doesn't. So. UK de- absolutely needs both of them. Um, if Kaysen stays, do you bench Reeves and play both him and Dillingham? Kaysen is not staying. He will go no pro. I would rather have Reed Shepard. Yeah, Reed, Reed's going to have a role next year, especially if CJ leaves. I think uh, he would definitely have a, an opportunity to, to play early. And, you know, I don't think he's going to be a 25 minute per game guy, but I think he is going to play five, 10 minutes a game and be kind of a do, a do Thero type guy where he's going to come in and give you something uh, every once in a while. Um, I think that's good. I think we hit a, a bunch of the, the heavy hitter questions, and I don't think there's anything I. Miss big picture. Uh, Brian Reed says, Jack, or who are two recruits that you feel good about Kentucky getting in 2024? Uh, I think Kentucky has a very good shot at uh, Billy Richmond. I think that could happen actually in the not so distant future. Um, and second one, I say Boogie Fland. I think Kentucky is in a good chance, a good space with them. And, and if Kentucky continues to ramp up its efforts in that regard, I do think that. Uh, Boogie is a guy who they could get, and I, I think he's going to be a hell of a college basketball player, so I'm definitely excited for that. Um, let's pay some bills real quick uh, and talk about some of our very, very good friends um, that I'm excited to be working with moving forward. A, a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't really 
uh, all that enthusiastic about it because I was a little, you know, down about where things were with this season. Uh, first off, Sumner County Tourism, Kentucky fans, we know you'll be making your way to Nashville for the SEC tournament. We say welcome back. Experience beautiful Sumner uh, County, Tennessee, just minutes from Nashville. Discover our story of history and strong country music heritage. Indulge in our delicious dining options. Relax in the, in the simplicity of our lake. Parks and farms connect with the authenticity of Sumner County, Tennessee. Head to visit SumnerTN.com to learn more. I was just, you know, down about where UK, you know, was going in the SEC tournament and uh, they didn't have a run in them and all that. So, you know, it was just sad to talk about Sumner County because it was like they, everybody else is going to have fun in Sumner County. Uh, and, and I'm not because, you know, we're going to lose in the first game or two and, and not gonna, not be able to experience it uh, to the fullest extent that it, that is necessary. So I'm glad that optimism is back and uh, we are able to enjoy uh, beautiful Sumner County, Tennessee. Uh, and now, Sean, a brand new message that I haven't even told you about. So I'm, I'm excited to Ooh. get this get this with you live uh, in person. Sean, with postseason play comes March Madness. And with March Madness comes my favorite time of the year, Brackets. Sources say is teaming up with uh, Run Your Pool, the home of competition, bringing sports fans and their friends together to connect and compete with over 50 game types for every sport you can think of. It's a one-stop shop for sports gaming with over 2 million players. There's no better place to run your bracket for your friends, family, or office. And that's where we come in, Sean. Source say is hosting an official bracket competition with our listeners with cold, hard cash on the line. Thanks to Run Your Pool. It's simple. You fill out your picks for every game of the NCAA tournament and get points for uh, each pick you get right. Top three finishers, Sean, will be getting a grand total of $500 from Run Your Pool uh, with first place taking home a smooth $300, second place taking home $150, and third place winning $50. The best part, it's completely free to play, no strings attached. Listeners competing against me, Sean, Steven, the KSR crew, everybody, we're going to be joining in on this. Just sign up at play.runyourpool.com slash sources dash say and get your picks in uh, when the bracket is live on Selection Sunday. It is that easy. That is play.runyourpool.com slash sources dash say to compete against the Sources Say crew for cash. So I'm excited. When we were two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when they addressed this to us and said, hey, we have this uh, new ad opportunity and Kentucky wasn't even in the instead of a tournament field. I was like, oh, yay, joy. I'm sure sources say listeners are going to love to participate in a, a bracket pool for a, a bracket that didn't even include Kentucky. Now Kentucky's in the in the field. They're playing as, as well as they have all season long. And fans get the chance to win cold, hard cash. Sean, uh, I'm sure, sure you're very excited about that as well. And I'm excited to compete against uh, all these listeners, which, again, an unbelievable show with so many comments and questions and all that good stuff. I'm sure we're going to get a ton of feedback and a lot of good competition uh, here with our uh, Run Your Pool bracket challenge. Oh yeah, it's that. Uh, that is really cool. I had no idea that that was coming, so you you caught me off guard with that. But it is good news that we will actually be able to do this with Kentucky participating. You're right. Can't wait. Ago, yeah. If you'd told me that a couple weeks ago, I'd have been like, um, not having fun with this. Do, do we have to? Do we really? No. Now everybody is excited, too. I'm very, very excited to be a part of it as well. And, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll win some money for myself, too. That'd be pretty cool. I, give 
uh, us your best shot. I'm sure fans are looking forward to doing that as well. Uh, so, yeah, definitely definitely looking forward to that play.runyourpool.com slash sources dash say. Uh, Sean, another great show, another great win, another sweep for Kentucky basketball, finding their groove right at the right time. Where can fans find your work? You can find my work at gobigbluecountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at gbbcountry. Find me on Twitter as well, at Jack Pilgrim, KSR, reach out to me via email, jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. That will be back next time for the Jam Pack Sources A podcast. We will see you then. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.